Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. The only thing holding him back from holding us back from him is, is us. Because we can have as much of Jesus as we want. Trouble is a lot of people just don't want a whole lot of Jesus. And I'm speaking about the church. We get more excited about ball games and new movies coming out, new restaurants opening up. We get more excited about that kind of stuff than we do about having more of Jesus in our lives. So there's nothing holding us back from Jesus except us. His love will never let us go, as we just sang. So thank you, Lord, for your death and resurrection. Thank you for the power of your blood. We are overwhelmed by your affection. Are we? Are we overwhelmed by his affection? That's what we sang. The kindness and the greatness of your love. Kindness and the greatness of his love. That is so good. So thank you for the way you always love us. And now we get to love you in return. Thank you for the way you always love us. I know that's true. I know that Jesus' love for us never changes, but I believe we've all had difficult, challenging, even heartbreaking experiences in our lives where we might have wondered, are you sure you love me right now, Jesus? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. Anyone besides me ever feel like that? I know, I know. We can't go by our feelings. We have to go by what we know is true. And we know God's word is true, right? Right? (laughs) I sure hope everyone believes that. If not, we need to talk about it later. But God's word is the truth. Jesus tells us he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And the Bible tells us his love is unfailing, that his love endures forever. So the truth is that Jesus always loves us. That's the truth. I know we can't go by our feelings, but our feelings are real, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. It's hard to ignore our feelings even, even when we know the truth. Say, so, well, I know that's true, but man, I'm not feeling that. So our feelings are real, but we, man, it's hard not to let our feelings get the best of us sometimes. So we're going to briefly look back at a story we covered last Sunday before getting into this morning's message, Okay. Title of this morning's message is, Let Your Gentleness Be Evident to All. And we're going to be in Genesis 21 and Philippians chapter 4. So Lord, open your word up to us. Your word is truth. That's what we just said. Teach us from your word. We need to hear from heaven. We don't need to hear from Hollywood or Washington, D.C. We need to hear from heaven this morning. Amen. All right. Let's back up first. Last Sunday, Mother's Day, we looked at a story about a mother who who must have felt like nobody loved her, not even God. I referred to her as one of the forgotten mothers in the Bible. And of course, I'm talking about Hagar, that young Egyptian woman who was a servant girl 
for Abraham and Sarah. She was actually Sarah's servant. And as we know, God promised Abraham and Sarah that he would give them a son and that Abraham's descendants would be like the stars. Too many to count. The only problem with that is that so far, Sarah wasn't able to give Abraham any kids. And they were getting really, really old. This is back when God changed Abram's name to Abraham and changed Sarai's name to Sarah. And Sarah had that brilliant plan for her husband to sleep with her servant, hoping that maybe Sarah could have children through Hagar. What could possibly go wrong with that plan? So without even asking Hagar how she felt about this arrangement, Sarah gives her to Abraham as a substitute wife, like a surrogate mother. Now, to me, this is my first indication of how selfish and how inconsiderate that Sarah was towards Hagar. Never mind the fact that Sarah wants Hagar, this young Egyptian woman, to sleep with her 86-year-old husband. Huh. She's more concerned about not, be, not being an embarrassment to her husband, and, and she doesn't want to be looked down on because she can't conceive a child. But now keep in mind, God's not putting that pressure on her. The society, the culture she lived in is. She was more concerned with her self-image than the feelings of this other woman. But God had made Abraham and Sarah a promise. But Sarah didn't want to wait. She didn't want to wait on God's timing. So Sarah tells Abraham, here you go, my darling. Make a baby with my servant, okay? And Abraham says, oh, okay. And sure enough, Hagar gets pregnant, starts to treat Sarah with some attitude. Sarah ain't having it. She treats Hagar horribly, makes life so unbearable for her that she runs away. Now she's pregnant and homeless. Remember, she's an Egyptian. She doesn't recognize Yahweh as God. She grew up with people who worshiped sun gods and moon gods and fertility gods and gods of war, you name it. I googled Egyptian gods and it says over 1,400 different gods and goddesses in Egyptian worship. Well, that gets confusing. <laughs> None of her gods, though, came to her rescue, did they? But the angel of the Lord, the one true God, found Hagar by a desert spring and called her by name. That was another insulting way Sarah treated Hagar. Never referred to her by using her name. Just servant, maybe, hey you, but never is it recorded in the book of Genesis that Sarah called Hagar by her name. So do you think Sarah's witness to Hagar was in any way an encouragement for Hagar maybe to seek after Yahweh as her God? Of course not. Why would she? If anything, it would drive her further away from the one true God. But the one true God cared about this young, hopeless, homeless, pregnant Egyptian woman. Sarah and Abraham showed no respect to Hagar, but the angel of the Lord did. He called her, Hagar, Hagar, God bless you. Hagar, where have you come from and, and where are you going? And she confessed, I'm running away from my mistress. Hagar didn't call Sarah a mean old woman. She didn't call her a witch or a word that rhymes with witch. She just says, I'm running away from my mistress. And the angel of the Lord tells Hagar, go back to that old lady and submit to her authority. 
That was probably the last thing Hagar wanted to hear. She's probably hoping, gee, couldn't you just find me a nice little place for me to live where I could have my child and be left alone? Anywhere far away from that mean woman? No, that wasn't the plan. So she goes back to Sarah. Think about that. That had to be really, really hard. But while she's still out in the desert, before she returns to to Sarah, the angel tells her something amazing. He says, I'll give you more descendants than you can count. You're pregnant. You'll give birth to a son, and you are to name him Ishmael. He'll be a wild one, like a wild donkey. He'll be against everybody, and everybody will be against him. Hagar's probably thinking, couldn't you have just stopped at you are going to name him Ishmael? Ishmael means God hears. And this is where the Egyptian servant girl gives God a name. Isn't that wild? Usually God reveals who he is, but here in the desert, it's not an Israelite, it's an Egyptian. And it's a a woman, and it's a servant woman, naming the Lord El Roy, R-O-I, meaning God who sees. Hagar said, I have seen the one who sees me. I'll bet Hagar forgot about those other 1,400 Egyptian gods after this encounter. At least I would hope so. And I said this last week, but I I believe it's worth repeating this morning. Even when we're in our wilderness, whatever that looks like, your wilderness is different than mine. But when we're in our wilderness and we're not sure where we are or where we're going or how we're going to get out of this mess, we're not lost. It may feel like we're lost, but we're not lost. God knows right where we are. And he's got a plan for us. And he comes to us in our wilderness The angel of the Lord came to Hagar in her wilderness and said, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Definitely not what Hagar Hagar wanted to hear. But she can go back to Sarah now because she knew God was with her. The one true God who she did not know was with her. And he called her by her name. Not servant, not slave or maid or hey you, but Hagar. God sees her. He hears her. And He promises to take care of her and her baby boy Ishmael. God hears. And God sees us. And He hears us. And He comes to us in our wilderness. And He'll take care of us. He promises to never leave us even when we feel all alone. He promises to never forsake us even when we feel forsaken. Even when we feel invisible and forgotten by others, we need to remember God sees us. El Roy, He sees us. And if we'll open our eyes, we'll see blessing after blessing after blessing all around us. So Hagar goes back to Sarah and Abraham, ends up giving birth to Ishmael. Sarah continues to be harsh and unkind to Hagar. Abraham and Sarah raise Ishmael as their child, not Hagar. And this goes on for 13 years. For 13 years, Abraham and Sarah thought Ishmael's birth had fulfilled God's promise to them. But then a funny thing happened. Old Sarah gets pregnant. She's 90 years old. Abraham's 100. 
Everybody's surprised, except God. He told them. He promised. She gives birth to a son. And now that Sarah has her own baby boy named Isaac, she really doesn't have much love for Ishmael. And she really doesn't have any use for Hagar anymore. So she's just looking, just watching, just looking for an excuse to get rid of both of them. Such a kind old lady, isn't she? One day she catches Ishmael teasing little Isaac, who's about three years old, or he's making fun of him or laughing at him. Typical teenage boy stuff, right? I mean, big brother picking on little brother. That wouldn't shock anybody. Happens in the best of families. But Sarah jumps at the opportunity, and she tells Abraham, get rid of that servant and her son. See, now that Sarah has Isaac, she no longer considers Ishmael her son like she did for the first 13 years of this boy's life. I mean, think of him. Think of the rejection issues and the orphan spirit issues and all the other stuff that he's dealing with now, thinking, oh, well, this, this is my mom, and now she doesn't want me. She wants me to get rid of me and my real mom. Get rid of that servant and her son, right? He's not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it, she tells Abraham. I don't think Sarah's going to be nominated for any Moms of the Year awards, do you? She didn't have the love in her heart for Ishmael like Abraham did. Because Ishmael was Abraham's son. It was his flesh and blood. He loved this boy. So he's very troubled by Sarah's heartless demands. But God tells Abraham not to be upset. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. And then he says, but I will make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he's your son too, Abraham. God was so gracious. But now... Abraham has to send Hagar and his son Ishmael off. He's got no plan for them. He, he, he has no destination in mind where they can go and be taken care of. That had to be hard on Abraham. But God said, do what Sarah tells you. Think how hard it had to be on, Ab on Hagar and 13-year-old Ishmael. How confusing, how hurtful. But the next morning, Abraham gets up early prepares some food, fills a container of water for them, says goodbye, and sent them away. And I, and I said this last week, I was just thinking, here's this teenage boy. He's probably wondering, Dad, what are you doing? What's going on? I was only teasing Isaac. I didn't hurt the kid. I was just playing around. Come on, Dad, talk to Sarah. Let's talk this over. I'm your son. Me and Mom, we got no place to go. What are you doing? But he sent him away. And he wandered, it said, aimlessly in the wilderness. And it doesn't take long for the jug of water to run out. And now they're really at the end of the rope. And Hagar puts Ishmael in the shade of a bush and she walks about 100 yards away from him. Sits down and says, I don't want to watch the boy die. And she bursts into tears. And we looked at these scriptures last Sunday, but let's look at them again. This story continues in Genesis 21, verse 17 and 18. It says, Then God heard the boy's cries, and the angel of God called to Hagar from the sky, Hagar, what's wrong? 
Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries from the place where you laid him. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Hagar's about to give up, right? I don't want to watch the boy die. She's got no hope left. They're out of food. They're out of water. They're in the wilderness. Things look hopeless. But God sees them. Elroy sees them. And he hears their cries. The God who sees also sees us. And he hears us when we feel our situation looks hopeless too. Hagar, don't be afraid. God heard your boy's cries and he heard your cries. Go comfort him, mama. I'm going to make a great nation from his descendants. In other words, your boy's going to live. He ain't going to die. I'm going to make a great nation from him. And then God opened her eyes. Look at verse 19. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. Hagar didn't open her eyes. Right? It didn't say she looked and she saw. No, it says God had to open her eyes to see his provision for her in Ishmael. And it was right in front of her. But she wasn't looking for it. She lost her hope until God opened her eyes. And sometimes I believe God needs to open our eyes so we can see his provision right in front of us too. Look, look what happens next. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. Chris, leave that one up there for a minute, please. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. Let's remember not to lose our hope, even in the darkest of circumstances, even when it's you or me or one of our loved ones wandering aimlessly in the wilderness like Hagar. God finds her in the wilderness. God sees her in the wilderness. God hears their cries in the wilderness. And he leads them forward, right? He leads them forward to a well full of water. Forward to the future. Not back, not back to the past. And it says, and God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. God didn't abandon Ishmael like Sarah and Abraham did. And look what Hagar did. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. Can you blame her? Why would she want her son to marry a Jewish girl? Her experience with Sarah was more than enough for her to tell her son, Ishmael, you don't want a Jewish girl. They're mean, they're selfish, they're manipulating, they're insulting. I mean, the list, she probably had a list that goes on and on and on. And I read over that and I thought, man, do we see the terrible witness that Sarah lived out in front of Hagar? I never thought of that before. Sarah was the wife of the man who God promised would be the father of nations, which would make Sarah the mother of nations. And Hagar is thinking, no, thank you. Let me tell you how this one of Yahweh's children treated me, right? Right? 
Man, we don't want people saying that about us, do we? No. Sarah gave Hagar a terrible witness of the love of God. A terrible witness of the kindness of God and the compassion of God and the mercy of God. The Bible tells us in the book of James, there will be no mercy for you if you've not been merciful to others. Was Sarah merciful to Hagar? Absolutely not. The Bible keeps on in the book of James. says, But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy towards you will win out over his judgment against you. Right? Mercy triumphs over judgment. But the way this translation reads, then God's mercy toward you will win out over his judgment against you. Hey, I want his mercy towards me to win out over his judgment against me, don't you? Whew. Now, only God, only God in his mercy can forgive our sins. We can't earn forgiveness by just forgiving others. But if we're not willing to forgive others after God has forgiven us, then we show we don't really understand or we don't really appreciate God's mercy towards us. I don't think Sarah really understood or appreciated God's mercy. Not really, not by the way she treated Hagar. So Sarah gives a terrible witness to Hagar of God's grace and of God's gentleness. Look what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 4 verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to who? To all. Did Sarah let her gentleness be evident to Hagar and Ishmael? Not even close. She could have benefited from this New Testament verse way back in Genesis. She didn't have this verse, but we do. We have this verse, so I'm going to stop picking on Sarah. But do we see how, how our words and how our attitudes can do more harm than good when it comes to our witness for Christ, for the Lord? Let's make this verse more personal. It wasn't written just for the Philippians. It was written for you and for me too. So the question for us is, is our gentleness evident to all? Remember, gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22. In one of the commentaries I read, it, it describes gentleness as sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. It's easy to show gentleness or sweet reasonableness to people who are kind, to people who are gentle, to people who are sweet, to people who are reasonable. But what about the unkind? What, what, what about the stubborn or those who are unthankful or those who are complaining all the time or people who are, are being just harsh, you know, just real jerks? The Bible doesn't say let your gentleness be evident to all except the jerks. It says be evident to all. That includes the real jerks. See, if we're not gentle in our attitudes, in our treatment of others, how can we expect the Lord to be gentle in His treatment of us? So the question remains, are we gentle people? 
Sarah sure wasn't gentle to Hagar and Ishmael. But would the people who know us the best consider us to be gentle? Would the people who even live with us say we are gentle? The Bible clearly says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't worry if the other person's gentleness isn't evident. The Bible says, let your gentleness, let my gentleness be evident to all. You know, Jesus was gentle, right? I know he flipped some tables over, but he was gentle. He tells us himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle and you will find rest for your souls. I am humble and gentle. Those are Jesus's words. Jesus is humble and he's gentle. So let's be more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's pray for that. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. I want to say a prayer and I'm going to pray this. Uh, what's out there on the table. I made these for the beginning of the year. I call it the 2023 prayer for the tribe of joy. And it's a passage out of Colossians 1 that uh, Bobby and I have prayed for, for us as a church. But first, Lord, I, I just want to thank you for the truth in your word and, and give, let us learn from this example. Here's Sarah, you know, the matriarch, and she treated this servant girl horribly, horribly. What a terrible witness she was for you. We don't want to be like that. Help us always speak the truth, but speak it in love. Being gentle doesn't mean we compromise our beliefs. Being gentle doesn't mean we turn our head against sin. It's just being more like you. You said you are humble, you are gentle. That's what we need to be. It doesn't mean we're weak. Help us to be gentle and let our gentleness be evident to all. So I pray this prayer for us. We ask you, God, to give us a complete understanding of what you want to do in our lives. And we ask you to make us wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way we live will always honor and please you. And we will continually do good, kind things for others. All the while, we'll learn to know God better and better. We also pray that we'll be strengthened with your glorious power so that we'll have all the patience and endurance we need. And may we be filled, not just a little bit, may we be filled with joy, always thanking the Father who has enabled us to share the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven all our sins. And to that we say, thank you, Lord. Amen and amen.